Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. Joanna Felzer is named the new Artistic Director of Berkeley Rep. Joanna is currently the Artistic Director of New York Stage and Film, an organization responsible for the development of such shows as Hamilton, The Wolves, The Humans, The Invisible Hand, American Idiot, and several other noteworthy plays. Joanna Felzer, I know that you're not a director, which sets you apart from most artistic directors. What prompted you to apply to Berkeley Rep? Well, Berkeley Rep has sort of loomed large in my life since I was a child growing up here. It's obviously one of the most renowned theaters in the country. And I think when you look at what Tony has done with it over the last 20 years, honestly, it's a job in a theater that I think anybody with a real appetite would aspire to. When you applied, did you have any specific notions beyond just like continuing Tony Tacconi's work? things that you specifically wanted to do that might have turned the tide for you, you think? When I look at Berkeley Rep, when I look at the scale of the work that they've done, obviously, given my background, their really profound commitment to new work is deeply attractive to me. The fact that there's a school here, you know, it's important to me that we are supporting artists at all different stages of their careers, that we're creating real opportunities for audience members to encounter work at all different stages of development, um, and that there is an appetite also for both new work as well as for classics that we have the opportunity to reimagine and interpret. And in terms of social conscience, that I guess will have to play a role too. Well, it's Berkeley. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I'm really looking forward to about being out here is I think this is an audience, and I came to know them a bit during the five years that I spent at ACT, but it's an audience with enormous intellect, huge passions, serious political consciousness, and a real sense of literary value in the work as well. And I think those things in combination make them an extraordinary group of people to get to share stories with. Let's go back and talk a little about your career. Were you always interested in theater? The job that you had was the artistic director of New York Stage and Film, which is somewhat different. So does your background film, theater, what? My background is very specifically in theater. I originally started off in dance and then very quickly made the transition to, into theater. I thought I wanted to be an actor, and I uh, was lucky enough over time to be given the opportunity to produce a bunch of plays with a very small theater company that I was working with then and discovered that I am much better as a producer than I ever was as an actor. You say you started in dance. You were a dancer as a kid? Yeah, lots of ballet. And at what point did you realize, oh, acting? Probably in high school. And then it was post-college. I spent a year at Actors Theatre of Louisville training there and had the great privilege of being exposed to what it is to develop new work and really fell in love with that process and the ability to be part of shaping new stories. What was the small theater company, that first small theater company? Uh, it was called Xena Group. It was a group of people who had all come out of the Actors Theatre of Louisville training program over about a five-year period. 
And it was a fantastic, I, I, what I wish for everybody who wants to be making theater is that they have their Xena group moment where you're with a group of peers, you get to make up everything. The stakes are low, the expectations are high, and you get to be really inventive and intrepid with your peers. And that was in Louisville, I would. No, that was actually back in New York. Louisville people went to New York. As they do. This is what you do when you're 22 and you want to be an actor. New York has huge gravitational pull. And so we all ended up in New York together, but luckily had this real sense of community spirit that had been fostered in this place that had been really important to each of us. And when was that? That would have been 91, like 91 through 96, 97 for me. What happened to the theater? Did it vanish or did you just move on? You know, when you have a collective formed by 30 aspirational actors, I think it has a bit of a shelf life. I was lucky enough to run it with two partners, and we kind of came to a place, I think, after a number of years where we had experimented in a lot of forums. We were really proud of what we had built and the community that we had sustained. And then we came to a place where we essentially had taught each other everything we knew, had made up what we could, and needed to go learn some new tricks from other people. And what happened then? We disbanded, and I began to go work for a commercial producer for a couple of years. I worked at Walt Disney Theatrical and the original company of Lion King. And then I was lucky enough to land at New York Stage and Film beginning in 1998. At the Lion King, what were you actually doing? Oh, I had the most glamorous job in the entire show. I was the assistant company manager. It meant the care, feeding, paying, nurturing of that entire company. I was lucky enough to work for a really extraordinary man named Stephen Shackelson, who has been a wonderful mentor to me. And to have the chance to watch that creative team build that show was a rare privilege. So you working a little bit with Julie Tamer at all? A little, yeah. <laughs> Certainly in proximity to. Was your job basically someone would say, hey, Joanna, get this? There was a fair amount of, hey, Joanna, get this, take care of that person, make sure that person is in the right city at the right time with a paycheck in their hand. And from there, at that point, did you go on to uh, New York Stage and Film? Yeah, I went right from Lion King to New York Stage and Film. Joanna Felser, what is New York Stage and Film? Oh, it's my heart. New York Stage and Film is a company dedicated to the development and production of new work. So it's a company that's based year-round in Manhattan. And then we go up to the Vassar College campus in Poughkeepsie, New York, every year. We're in residence there for two months in what has been a 34-year partnership with Vassar. And while we're there, we'll work on upwards of 20 different projects at all different stages of development. This summer, we had 360 professional artists, a training company of 45, a staff of 50. So it's like Brigadoon. It's an entire world that sort of rises out of the mist every year. Okay, let's let's go into that a little bit because I looked at the list of some of the shows that developed under your artistic directorship. Hamilton, The Wolves, The Invisible Hand, The Humans, 24 Decade History by Taylor Mack, American Idiot. Now American Idiot came to Berkeley Rep. So when you talk about development, what exactly are you talking about? Where was Hamilton before? I think it went to the public. Where was Hamilton before then? Where was American Idiot? 
each one of those projects has had a really different developmental trajectory. And one of the things at New York Stage and Film that we pride ourselves on is the ability to respond pretty organically to the needs of a particular piece at a specific moment in its evolution. So for example, with Hamilton, I mean, listen, those guys know exactly what they're doing and they're incredibly smart and articulate about knowing what they need at a particular stage in the process. So when they were with us, they were working very specifically on act one. It was the first time that they had put all of that together with a group of actors. Obviously, Lynn had been writing privately for quite a while. Um, And it was the first time they were really able to share even a piece of it with an audience and to begin to get a sense of how it moved. It's the audience, other people from uh, New York Stage and Film who were working? Definitely the other artists who are in residence comprise part of that audience. But I think more importantly, it's an audience of really passionate theater goers, of real civilians. And they become a wonderful proxy for these artists of what their eventual larger scale audiences will be. It's really important to me that artists have the opportunity to share their work in its formative stages with an audience who are not just comprised of their peers. Let's talk about Hamilton for a second. So what happens is Lin-Manuel Miranda is working by himself or a little bit with the people from In the Heights and has this idea. He does it on his own, and then they call you? First of all, just to speak to their collaboration, Lin's work with Tommy Kale, with Alex Lacamoire, with Andy Blankenbuehler is a very in-depth collaboration. Those are the guys who made In the Heights together, and I think the way that team works together is specific and fairly magnificent. And, you know, ever since the first time that Lynn performed that opening number for the Obamas at the White House, I would call Tommy Kale, who had worked with us previously, you know, once a year to say, aren't you ready for a place to develop this? Is it time? Is it time? And finally, the year came when Tommy said, well, Maybe if we can do it in this very specific way. So again, they're so wise about their process and they do know exactly what they need. And it happened to be a set of needs that our structures could satisfy. So they all head up to Poughkeepsie, begin to work. And is there a dramaturge along the way? Uh, Are they just working? And then they say, hey, Joanna, this is what we have. Let's set up a first production. No, they were in much earlier stages. So the expectation when they came is that they would work for a week or so, and then they would do two very simple presentations just of the first act at music stands. And that's what they did. So they continued, and at some point it reached a point where they reached out or you reached out to the public? Listen, everybody since Heights was tracking what they were doing and what they were working on. Oscar actually came up. Oscar Eustace, the artistic director of the public, came up and saw the reading in Poughkeepsie with us. And with Taylor Mack, was it a similar process? Yeah. I mean, listen, we've all been aware of Taylor's work for ages and the scale of what he was taking on with this 24-decade project was so entrancing to me. So Taylor and his producers at Pomegranate Arts and I had been in conversation over about a 15-month period about how our structures might help answer some of Taylor's needs as they moved forward. And what Taylor really wanted to do, given the opportunities that had already been experienced, uh, was to try doing um, what we affectionately call a half marathon. So Taylor did 12 hours for the first time with us. And it was extraordinary. I mean, of the magnificent nights that I've gotten to spend in the theater, that was one of them to see the kind of community that was 
drawn around that work to see what happens within an organization when you have to reimagine all of your producing structures, because obviously you can't have your ushers there for 12 hours, not to mention how does Taylor get fed and watered and all of those things. So it was a process that challenged all of us, but I think really gave Taylor the necessary information to begin to prepare for the 24-hour cycle. Joanna Felser, for the different plays, I guess, you were just there to help nurture the playwright and work with them through the very early stages until at some point a theater company comes along. Well, we like to think sometimes we are that theater company that comes along. So we always begin with a conversation with the writer to say, where do you think you are in this process? What is it that you think you need to best understand where you are now and to help propel yourself forward? So sometimes that's a reading. Other times, like with this beautiful project, The Waves, that we worked on this summer, what they really need is a fully designed, fully realized main stage production in order to experience the piece in three dimensions in the company of a design team. And even then, our work, we don't see as terminal. It's not reviewed, any of the projects, while they're with us. So what it means is that a creative team can continue to work throughout their process. So Lisa Peterson, Raul Esparza, Adam Guan, who were working on The Waves with us this summer, they were looking every night at that show in performance and then making changes each day based on what they had learned. So essentially, everything up there is like previews. And at the ground floor in Berkeley Rep, is that process going to be similar to what you were doing, or is it the next step after New York Stage and Film? Who knows? I think I've got a lot to learn about the very specific structures that the ground floor affords artists. And my guess is it's neither before nor after for each project. There might be some projects that could be initiated at the ground floor. Berkeley Rep does commissioning and New York Stage and Film right now does not. But I think it's a really exciting opportunity for us to be able to look in a pretty organic and expansive way at how there might be different opportunities that are created along the life cycle of a project. It's certainly something we've done. For example, Hallie Pfeiffer, who's a wonderful writer, had a play that was a Playwrights Horizons commission. It was, they were committed to producing it this coming season. But Hallie and her director, Trip Coleman, knew that there was work that they wanted to do in anticipation of that production. So they were able to come to us for a very specific developmental process, knowing that they had that other production to look forward to. And moving on to Berkeley Rep now, your job is, of course, going to be different because you will be receiving manuscripts from everywhere and you will be searching out London, New York, all of those places as well. Your connections through New York stage and film sound as if you might be bringing some material to Berkeley just simply because of your connections. Is that hopefully true? <laughs> I think one of the things that I get to bring to this company is a set of connections and relationships to specific projects and to a group of artists that I feel really strongly about. But at the same time, I think there are wonderful local artists here. I got to know some of them during my tenure at ACT. Um, certainly the population has changed a bit over the last decade, but I'm also really interested in investigating who's currently working here. Berkeley Rep is also interested, along with moving projects along, projects for just here, which means you need to balance projects you want to take elsewhere and projects that will never go elsewhere. I think one of the things that my job will entail is also figuring out what these specific projects need. I mean, it's wonderful when you get to see the work move on 
mostly so that these pieces that so many people invest so much of their time and their heart into get to reach the widest possible audience. But I don't think that means that New York is necessarily the end game for every single thing that we make here. There's a lot of work that I've done over the last 20 years that reached a very specific audience, and that was it's life and that's okay. I think having one measure of success for every single project that comes through your doors is limiting. One final question, which is that the audiences in theater tend to get much older, though there are younger theater companies in San Francisco attracting younger people like Ray of Light. Mm. How do you see your role in trying to get younger audience members to Berkeley Rap? Well, I think it's the question facing everybody who's working in not just the American theater, but in theater globally right now. How do we encourage people to fall in love with this art form? So many people now don't have all of the same points of access that previous generations did. And I think one of the reasons that we're seeing older generations love theater in a really concerted way is they were given access to that as children. They were raised in a theater-going tradition. There were arts in the schools. They were brought to see shows. So I think the task isn't to try and manipulate theater into something that it's not in order to make younger audiences fall in love with it, but to make sure that they are aware of the magic that can befall them if they walk through these doors.